Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the Word, giving insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. We've been studying verse by verse the past um, eight weeks in the book of Colossians. It's been really awesome to go through. Some of you have, have read. Has, has anybody read uh, each week or tried to read each week with the social media posts? Could some of you have? I had a guy yesterday. He told me he couldn't be here today. He was um, serving. Yesterday we had to be out of town. He said, man, I'm going to raise my hand really high when you say, have you been reading? Because I want everybody to know that I've been reading. And I, and I said, he's not here today, but he was like, so excited. He'd been reading along with the series and he had read this week. Uh, we've been looking at the Bible verse by verse and going through this book of uh, called Colossians. What we're going to do coming up is on, um, on Easter we're going to do a, a message um, on debunking the myths of the resurrection. Because what our goal is, as believers is to get people to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how you become a Christian. Right? Repent of your sins and believe in the resurrection. They could be like, I don't really know if like Moses parted the Red Sea, but I do believe Jesus is Lord. I'm still trying to figure that out. And they could be saved. You understand? That's how it works in Christianity. You don't try to give them believe all the Old Testament and then when they get to Jesus, maybe think about Jesus. Do you understand somebody could believe, they could believe all the miracles of the Old Testament and not believe in Jesus and still not split heaven wide open? Does that make sense? That's what being a Christian is. And so here's what I want to do on Easter. We're going to have two worship services that day. Um, We are going to, I'm going to speak, I'm going to empower you as believers to understand how to overcome myths about the resurrection. Some people will say, well, he just passed out. He went into a coma. Others will say, well, the body was stolen. Some people will say, well, he didn't even historically exist. And I want to give you equipping power so when you go to your jobs and your family and your schools and your friends, you can share intelligently with them why that's a myth and the resurrection really happened. Now here's the second point of of that message. I'm not really going to be preaching to you on Easter. You hear me all the time, right? You've got people who will only come on Christmas and Easter. I want to impact them that day. It may be the only chance I get this year or their whole life and I want to share with them the proof and the power of the resurrection. So not only do, do, do I want you guys to invite people, but will you pray with me and pray for me? Because I'm really believing God to do a work in people's hearts that day and that people will believe upon Jesus. Or they will leave and be like, you know what, I never thought of the resurrection that way. Maybe I really need to reconsider this whole thing. And so pray for us that day. And then the next week we will start a brand new series which we'll be promoting called Necessary Sins. And you're going to love that one. It's stuff that will step on your toes. And so be praying for me as we prepare for the upcoming series. Today we're going to be... Um, in Colossians chapter 4 verse 2. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2. We'll just be in four verses today. So if some of you were looking to get 15 or 16 verses like we have been doing, you're out of luck. You only get four verses today. So you will not get all your Bible reading for the week today. You only get a portion of it. Uh, Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Uh, when I was in high school, I didn't know a lot about cars. Um, I didn't learn about cars until I started a band and I had my own van. I had to work on that van all the time. So I was in high school. I was pretty ignorant about cars like most females, right? Amen. Okay, <laughs> I made all the feeling, <laughs> but but I was uh, 
So anyway, um, I didn't know about cars. And my car, I was driving one day, and I, I was just joking. Please, please, no, don't, don't, don't give me pickle juice face the rest of the message. It's so hard to preach to that. Um, it was just a joke. And so as I was driving one day home from school, the car started jerking and shaking. I mean, it was like, you know, just, I mean, I was like, oh my gosh. And I could not, I drove 30 miles per hour all the way home. And I thought, this car is done. It's over. Um, it cranked back up. I got it all the way to the, to, to, you know, to, to the garage. And I was like, man, I don't know what's going on with it. And I was expecting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars because it would not drive right. Well, about an hour later, the gentleman called and he said, hey, we found out what's wrong with your car. And I said, awesome. He said, yeah, about, about, about $45 to fix. I'm like, this seemed like something's really wrong with this thing. And he said, oh, it's a spark plug. You had one spark plug that was bad, which caused your whole car to drive like that. And I didn't know at that point in my teenage years, because teenagers don't, don't know a whole lot, do they, parents? Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, and all the teenagers now have me. Um, I'm going to alienate everybody time this message is over. Just get ready. If you're in here, you'll be alienated time this message is over. Um, and so I didn't know a whole lot, but I was like, that's great. I didn't realize something so small could affect the whole car. That something so small could make such a big impact. And in your life, maybe it wasn't a car, uh, unless you're a female, and I'm kidding. Um, maybe it wasn't a car, or maybe it was something um, like debt. Maybe you didn't realize that not paying that bill caused your credit score to plummet. Maybe it was your car where you didn't change the oil in it for 20,000 miles, and then the mechanic's like, yeah, you know, your, your seals are all bad and your engine's bad. It could have been one grade in school. You're trying to get into the program of your choice, and you, didn't, you never thought that one class would ever make such a big impact. But um, it, it, all, all of us today have been somewhere in our lives where something so small has made such a big impact, whether positive or negative. And when you look at the church in Colossae, that's what Paul's conveying to them today. Um, you got to understand something. In the first century, Paul wrote to this church in the city of Colossae. It was the Middle East, okay? So, so when you imagine Colossae, it's the Middle East area, about 100 miles from modern-day Turkey. Um, not where I lived in Turkey, but um, North Carolina, but in Middle East Turkey. And so, they're about 100 miles from there. It was a very small church that a man named Epaphras went and planted. Um, most people believe he went to Ephesus, saw that awesome revival happen. He comes back and plants the church in Colossae. And then, um, it was a small church, but what Paul wanted to see happen was this. He wanted to see the gospel spread throughout Asia Minor, which is all of the Middle East in that day and time. That was Paul's passion, to go to the Gentiles and see the gospel spread. In that day and time, first century, do not look at the Bible in 21st century eyes when you first look at it. There were no, there were not many churches at all. You didn't go to a town like, I'm going to Google a church to find, you know. <laughs> you didn't ask your neighbor, hey, what church you go to? It wasn't like, you know, people were members of churches because churches, there were very few churches. Matter of fact, if you went into a town and you said, hey, we're having Easter service, you got to come. What's Easter? Oh, it's about the resurrection of Jesus. What's, what's resurrection? Who's Jesus? Oh, well, well it's, and, and, and so nobody knew the gospel. So it wasn't like it is today where most people at least have some understanding of kind of what's happening, what's going on. Um, you know, they didn't know what a church was. They didn't know what the gospel was. They didn't know any of those things. And so here's what Paul's prayer was, that the gospel spread throughout Asia Minor and impact that region, impact that area. And here's what he shares with the Colossians because they were in a small town in a small church, but he wanted to see the gospel impact their region. Here's what he writes to them about that, these small actions. He says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. 
Verse 3 says, pray for us too, that's Paul and his team, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That means salvation. Um, that is why I am here in chains. Remember, Paul was in prison. He was imprisonated for preaching the gospel. He was put in chains in a prison. It wasn't like the prisons this day and time where you had internet and TVs and weights. It was, he was in chains. They would let him free for a little bit to do some writing. So he said, pray for me. Um, that's why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message that's the gospel as clearly as I should. Now look at verse 5 live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity verse 6 says let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone my, my prayer today for you guys as we look at these, these, these verses here is that you understand small actions can make big impact in your life Small actions can make big impact. Um, when you talk to someone who puts physical health first, it's not that they went and ran eight miles one day and now they're in perfect health, right? <laughs> and it's not the, 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 the little co coffee pills and the things you find on TV that you can drop 50 pounds in, in four weeks. I tried that. It'll, it will kill you in the process. I tried that when I was younger because I didn't know as much back then. But when somebody puts physical health as an, as an importance, it's small actions, isn't it? And I asked uh, Brian Seymour, our, our care pastor, and he does the first impressions team. He's usually out there in the parking lot. If I could use him as an example, because Brian was like Mr. Uh, like experimental trial guy. <laughs> like six years ago, he did some type of trial with some type of thing and lost a bunch of weight and then and he couldn't keep it off. We talked about it and things like that. It's like, oh man, you know, and it's kind of those things. When he came to Virginia, though, he, he took a different route, and I'm really proud of him for this, and I tell him this all the time. He got with Mark Thomas, our Richmond City campus pastor, who used to be a personal trainer, and said, what are some things I can do to start a lifestyle of change? Not a diet, not, not, not you know, the California, South Beach, you know, Atkins, whatever, Chet Atkins diet, whatever it is. Um, not those things, but what can I do? And this guy here um, had never really been to a gym much, didn't understand much about it. Mark went and gave him a crash course, and now he's in the gym five mornings a week at 5 a.m., walking on a treadmill for an hour lifting weights, working out stuff that he didn't know existed because he'll be hurting from that thing. And I just want to tell him, I've been so proud of him because that's actually encouraged me. Now, I go to the gym, but to see somebody say, I'm going to make a lifestyle change. And, and uh, I talked to him recently. He said, man, I, I wish I was losing the weight quicker. But that's one of the things, oh, don't we all, right? I mean, it's like, wouldn't it be great to get to the gym for a couple of hours and just boom, just, just, yeah, come on. It's easier to gain weight than lose it, right? Uh, yeah, it's much easier to eat the hamburger than burn those calories. Um, but what I've seen in him is he, ch he made a few small changes, a couple hours a day, will now change his health forever, and it may improve the quality and the length of his life if the Lord sees fit. When you talk to someone who's made financial decisions, it was small changes over a long amount of time. That's what investing is. If you ever see a quick fix investment, don't get involved with it. It's usually getting out of debt, and it takes a long time to do it, and you've got to be methodical. Uh, the, the folks who, who lead our Financial Peace University small group, man, who, uh, who meet on Sundays, Sean and Gina can share with you about that, about how they got out of debt and going to be debt-free very soon um, due to making small changes over a long period of time. When you find somebody who puts spiritual health first, it's not because they went and spent a, a weekend at a conference. 
Never. It's never because of that. Somebody who is spiritually healthy, who knows the Lord deeply, who walks with the Lord deeply, are, are, are not people who put all their spiritual emphasis on church on Sundays. What they can get out of church. It's what they do daily. And that's something that even John Maxwell, leadership guru, and his 21 laws, calls it the law of the process. It's not what you do occasionally that makes you who you are. It's what you do daily. I can tell what your future will be if you'll tell me what your daily routine is. I can. Maxwell says that it's the books you read, it's the people you're around, and it's the exposure that you get in life. And it's what you do daily that makes you who you are. It's not what you do occasionally. But have we not been fooled in this world to think that it's the big event, it's the one-time thing, it's the one this? It's like, for instance, help me out. How many married folks do we have in here? How many? Okay, good, good. All right, let's talk real. They make the wedding the echelon of everything, right? Can I tell you that some of the best, biggest, and brightest weddings have produced the worst marriages? Because it's not the event that makes the marriage, is it? It's what you do daily in the relationship that makes the marriage. It's not the occasional vacation. It's not even the occasional date night. It's what you do daily. It's how you treat your spouse daily. It's what you say. But we have been fooled in our westernized big event culture to think it's all about what happens in the spotlight. When you see a champion, again, as I said a few weeks ago about um, David Robinson, I mentioned that. Don't go looking for someone who does great on the court, but what do they do on on the practice field or in practice on the court? It's not the big events that create change. It's not one big election is going to change our country. You're being fooled. You're being fooled. It takes a long time to get in debt. It's going to take a long time to get out of debt. It can't be done in four years. Right? Changes happen slowly over time, but small changes can make big impact. And that's my one big point today. If you leave with anything, if you don't sound really smart when you eat lunch with people and say, what the preacher preach on? You can say this, small actions can create major transformation. Small actions can create major transformation. It's not one big church service. It's not one big day in devotion. It's small changes over time. Um, if you were here, I'm going to do a hand raise thing again. I don't do that too much. But I'm if you were here in like July of 2012, which is only about 10 people, raise your hand. July 2012. That's before we ever launched Thrive. It wasn't even called Thrive. We were still launching. I mean, see the hands? This place did not look like it does today. If you look at pictures, you wouldn't recognize the church. But it didn't happen in one day. It didn't happen over one event. It happened with us over time doing a lot of little things, a lot of little things, a lot of little things. Small changes can create major transformation in our life if we're committed to that. And that's what Paul wanted the people at Colossae to understand. Think about that. They were in a very small, small church in a a small town and nobody was receptive to the gospel because they didn't know it. And Paul had this vision that the gospel would spread over Asia Minor. And so Paul gives them small actions if they'll commit themselves to it that will change their community. And here's my prayer for you. Here's my prayer for, for, for the Richmond metro area that we see change in this, in this Richmond metro area. God didn't send me here just to preach cute sermons and do some music and, you know, say, hey, it's so good and slap each other on the butts and go home. Right? 
I really want to see change happen. And it won't just happen and thrive or happen through all the churches that, that, that are here in this area and praying for each other. But here's what Paul gives the church at Colossae. He gives four actions in these four verses that transform communities. Four actions. And I hope we can adopt these today. The first one is this. So how do we have small changes that create major transformation in our communities. Here's the first point. Devote yourself and devote your life to prayer. Devote your life to prayer. Look at verse 2. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. The first thing I want you to see is that Paul says devote. That means fully give yourself over to prayer. Do you know prayer is probably the hardest thing to do as a Christian? Prayer and fasting. If you find prayer easy, that's a gift from God. So I find it easy. Well, how many hours a day do you pray? <laughs> I only know a few people who, who have like a couple hours a day praying. Man, I don't even do that. I get so distracted. I'm literally praying and I'm thinking about, oh gosh, I forgot to contact this person. Okay, let me do that real quick. Not doing, okay, I'm and, and that's what happens to me. So I'd just be surprised what happens to all of us in here. I'm being real with you. But Paul says if you're going to see change, you've got to give your life over to prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. It's a small action that creates major transformation. And here's the thing about devoting yourself to prayer. Let me just say this, and you will see this through the other three points. Paul doesn't say pray for Aunt, Aunt Susie's hangnail. <laughs> Paul doesn't say, you know, well, just pray. You know, I'm not just feeling too good today. I got sinuses and allergies and uh, just pray for me. You don't see that type of stuff in the New Testament. Well, please go visit, you know, Grandma so-and-so. She's in the hospital and, you know, she's backed up and constipated. I'm, I'm being serious. You don't see that in the, in the New Testament. What you see is people who are devoted to prayer for the gospel to be spread and for open doors for the gospel to be communicated. Devote yourself to prayer. Not just, well, let's just pray for God bless me, God bless them, God bless him. Amen. But again, it seems like we've got so far from what the New Testament actually teaches us about what a gospel-centered believer is. And it's not just praying for, well, I just hope that little Billy makes the A on the test today. Let me pray for that. That's good. I mean, that's not bad, right? Y'all, there's some of y'all looking at me like I'm evil. No, I'm, I'm not saying don't pray for that. But I, I sat in a, in a group with a couple guys I mentor, and I pray, and then God you know, shows me, man, who I should spend some time with. And... Um, and I was talking to those guys about, you know, what's the one prayer God is answering in your midst? That's what you should always be able to ask. If I answer, if I asked you, what's the one prayer right now God's answering in your midst? Our, we, our, our, our leadership teams always ask that prayer, and we should be able to answer that prayer. If I said, right now, what's God answering in your midst? What prayer is God answering? Because you should be able to know what you've been asking for, what you've been travailing for, what you've been praying for. And then what, what is God doing in your midst? You should be able to at least answer that in some, some way, shape, or form. And we were talking the other day about, about those things. And I said, you know what? It's good for God to give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Kind of, pray for those things too. It's all good. But have you been asking for God to, to open up people's hearts to the gospel where you work? And has, has he been doing that? See, what you don't ask for, you don't get. And I'm afraid that we become so self-focused. I wouldn't say self-centered, that's mean. I wouldn't even use the word narcissistic, that's meaner. But self-focused that we have forgotten that when we pray, it's not just for self-benefit. 
I had a professor say this one time, and he freaked the class out. And he was a mean professor. Like, you have those mean professors? Some of y'all look at me like, 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 like I'm one. Um, and, and he was really mean. And we were, we were, and he set us up. He opened up class. And he was a little sarcastic. He was actually a short guy like me. And uh, his name was Dr. Studebaker. And, and he set us up, man. Because he said, all right, guys, any prayer requests, you know, you guys want to have? We're like, he wants to pray? This guy, like, he was a theology guy, but theology guys are very unspiritual. And, um, and so one girl raised her, she says, well, we got the storms coming in this weekend. Just pray that our house is protected. He said, all right. All right, guys, let's pray for Jane's house to be protected. And here's what he said. He said, screw everybody else. Let's make sure Jane's okay. And her little house and her little part of the world, because it's all about us, isn't it? I'm going to tell you something. Well, our faces were like some of y'all. But he opened up the idea that how self-focused are we sometimes in prayer. So when I say devote yourself to prayer, you say, okay, okay, good. I'll get up and pray for all my family to be good and have good health and nothing ever bad go wrong, blah, 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 and it'll be all good. But I believe that we have to take it to another level. And this is what Paul shows us. Look at point two. Um, not only do you devote yourselves to prayer, but what do you pray for? Look at point two. Small actions that create major transformation. It, here's the, the second small action. Pray for the gospel to be proclaimed effectively. Pray for the gospel to be proclaimed effectively. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul says, pray for us too. Now, if Paul was in America and he attended one of our churches, he'd say, pray for us too because I've got a, a, a chafing from the chains that are tearing my hands up. My hands hurt so bad. Please pray for me. Right? That's what he would. If he was in America, that's what he'd pray for. My legs hurt because I'm standing all the time and I have to urinate on myself. It's really bad. Pray, pray for me. But that's not what he prays for. He doesn't pray for self-comfort. He doesn't pray for self-preservation. Look what Paul prays for. And I love this. He says, pray for us too. They were in a dungeon type, you know, a terrible Roman prison. He said, pray that God will give us many opportunities to speak about this mysterious plan concerning Christ. And that was Jesus saving non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. That was a mysterious plan. And that's who, uh, you know, probably 99.9% of us are in here today. He says, that is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim the message as clearly as I should. When is the last time you prayed for that? For your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. When's the last time you even asked God to do that for you? That's something, on Wednesday nights what we do, here's our, our, our strategy and plan. We do a few songs, but we always have somebody come up and lead corporately in prayer. We pray four prayer points. Bill Bright, so if you come on Wednesdays, you, you know this. Bill Bright I led Campus Crusade for Christ for many years. If you know Campus Crusade for Christ, it was phenomenal. Bill Bright is, is recorded, led more people to Jesus than anybody else we know of in the modern era. Okay? Through Campus Crusade for Christ. And Bill passed away several years ago. He's a giant of the faith. And Bill prayed four prayer points every day. And one of them was to pray for open doors for the gospel to be shared. He prayed for supernatural resources to do the will of God. He prayed for laborers for the harvest to do God's work. And he prayed for fruit that remains. And we pray one of those every week. And what I've adopted, guys, is I pray those prayers. You can look up Bill Bright's prayer points and and find those. We can send those to you. Um, Is that we pray that every week. I pray that every day. I pray it for you. I pray it for our church. I pray it for my life. I pray it for my wife. That is what creates transformation. Not that, that, you know, that that, that Jane would get her hangnail, you know, fixing her toe. I mean, that's great. But maybe... 
baby Jane goes to the hospital with a hangnail and she shares the gospel with a nurse and the nurse gets saved because of a hangnail. Is it more important that Jane's hangnail gets fixed or somebody knows Jesus? Help me out. Some of y'all look like I'm really mean. Okay, I'm just preaching the Bible. This is what Paul's saying, not me. Don't, don't look at me that way. So, pray for that. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Every morning when you get up, don't just say, God bless me. God bless him. Uh, I, I just be with me today. Don't, those are just, man, those are just like, you know, he's going to be with you. He's, he's, he lives in you if you're a believer. He can't, be, he can't be any more with you than he is today, right? But here's what you can pray. God, give me open doors to share the gospel today. Give me open doors to share the gospel today. God, open people's hearts for me to share the gospel with them. You need to be saying, I don't know what to say if the door got open. The Lord will lead you. The Lord will tell, I'm serious, he will give you what to say. Don't be scared of that. He will empower you to do that. So Paul prayed for the gospel to be proclaimed effectively. Will you do something for me? Will you help me out on Easter? As Easter comes up, will you pray this prayer for me, please? Will you please pray, pray that, that the gospel is proclaimed effectively and that there's open doors for people to receive Jesus that day? What would happen if all of us in here begin to pray for that, for each other, for this church, for me on Sunday? For you to, It would transform one small action, one small prayer, because we know God answers prayer, right? He just doesn't heal bodies and heal minds and heal hearts, but he will open doors for the gospel to be shared. Here's the, the, the third point. Small actions that produce big results that transform communities. Here's the third. Live wisely among non-believers. Live wisely among non-believers. Look at verse 5. And Paul says it. He says, live wisely among those who are not believers. Live wisely. I say this all the time. You're probably getting tired of hearing this, but it's really a message of the Bible. It's been a message in Colossians. There were no believers in the first century. So the only gospel they knew, there, was no, there were no Bibles in the first century. You know that? So all they had were these people's reputations that called themselves Christians. That's why you had to live wisely upon those who were not believers. Because they looked at your life and said, Jesus is legitimate or Jesus is um, sketchy because of your life. And Paul said, man, if you're going to see people around you transform, live wisely among non-believers. Here, here's the deal. Here, here's the first thing you have to do. The first thing you have to do is this, get around non-believers. It's the first thing you got to do. I told you this before is that, that if, you grew up, if you grew up in church 30, 40 years ago, 20 years ago, you had revivals in the fall and the spring, right? The one ring revival and did that. And the preacher would come and, and, um, and all year long you heard this. Get rid of your sinner friends. Be ye separate. Be ye holy. Come apart. And so you got rid of all your friends who are non-believers. And you only had friends in your Sunday school class. You're like, yeah. Doing just what the preacher said. And then the revivalist came around. He said, get all your sinner friends to church. We're going to have a revival. You're like, I don't have any anymore. <laughs> They're all gone. They're all gone. I have nobody. I don't know anybody so that, that, that's a non-believer. Um, one of the things that, 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 listen, the gospel is not spread just through you telling somebody and convincing them that Jesus is real. It's spread through relationship. And the thing that scares me the most is, is that, number one, um, not only is, are, are there fragmented relationships in the church where there's not strong relationships, people, you know, don't want to commit to small groups and things like that and, and don't want to go deeper than a Sunday service, but here's the other part. They're also scared of building relationships with non-believers. And here's the biggest thing when you build, build a relationship with a non-believer. You can't need them. You can't need them. You hear me? And you can't use them. 
just need some drinking buddies. I go around non-believers to drink. No, you can't do that. That's, that's not. When you're sitting with them, hang out with a man, fellowship with them. But you can't need that part of them to the point they pull you into that. You have to be to the place where you're like, you know what? I'm going to hang out with these guys and I'm going to pray for open doors for the gospel to be shared. Uh, prime example, when I'm playing basketball, that's what I do. I, I go out and play, play basketball and I, I love um, doing that, man. I play with a lot of times a lot of non-believers. And after the games, in between the games, there's conversations that go on. <laughs> And some of them are just nasty. I mean, some of them are jokes they tell, things are going, or that. And, and I don't be like, well, I'm holy, you know, I wear a collar and play basketball, you know. Um, I don't do that. But, but what I do is I don't have to participate in that for them to like me. I don't have to get involved in the jokes. I don't have to curse. I don't have to act, you know, be, be like them. Um, I don't have to need their approval. I'm there on mission to build a friendship with them, a relationship with them, and hopefully the gospel is spread. Live wisely among non-believers. And here's the fourth and final point this morning. How small actions make big transformation. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. Verses 5 and 6. And he says this. He says, and make the most of every opportunity. Pretty straightforward. Let your conversation be gracious. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you'll have the right response for everyone. When you look at the, at, the, at the letter to the Colossians and you look at the letter to the Ephesians, do you know there's some, some, some similarities in there? It's a hard word to say. So many similarities. There's so many. And Paul even tells the Ephesian church, redeem the time because the days are evil. You know our biggest enemy is time, isn't it? You don't gain more time. You can't, I mean, we didn't, we didn't lose time, you know, with the, the, the you know, we always think we lose time with the spring forward, right? Oh, I lost an hour. Oh, I lost an hour of sleep. You, you know, you'll, you'll get it back. Time is the one enemy we have. Time is the one thing that works against us. And my fear is, is that we don't make the most of it. I don't make the most of every opportunity around those who are not believers, around those who don't know Jesus. Friends, let me encourage you. Make the most of every opportunity. I talked to a gentleman this week, and I didn't get his permission, so I'm not going to use his, his name. It's a very good story. It's not an embarrassing. Or, but he said he was hanging out with some friends. He always goes and hangs out with them. They all go off and do stuff together and things like that. And he got into a conversation, a very intense one, about Jesus and God and heaven and hell. And I was so stinking encouraged because his friend looked at him and said, You know what? pretty sorry for you. Do you feel as sorry for me as I do for you? It's like, well, because you actually believe fairy tales. You believe in this mumbo jumbo. The guy looked back and said, man, no. My heart breaks for you. Because you're not going to be in heaven hanging out with me. And the guy's like, it, and it got quiet. You took got intense. The gentleman said this to me. He said, I never felt God more than I did in that moment when I was sharing the gospel with these several guys sitting around there. Make the most of every opportunity. Know that that guy didn't get on his knees that night, turn to Jesus and get baptized. No, he didn't do that. And that's usually not what happens. But if we're going to see transformation, we've got to make the most of every opportunity. Pray for open doors to be to shared. Devote your life to, a, to, to prayer, to true prayer. Live wisely among those who don't know the Lord. They're looking at you and, and they're going to judge Jesus based on you and based on me. No pressure and you're going to mess up. But realize that they're going to look at you and judge Jesus based on, on you. 
And that's what the story of Colossians, if you keep looking at Colossians, you'll see that. Paul wanted the gospel to spread like wildfire throughout Asia Minor, but it took small actions that transform communities. Small actions can transform communities. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called The Tipping Point. It's a very interesting book. All his books are just phenomenal. Um, he's, he's an Anglican guy who, who uh, doesn't write like Christian books, but it's definitely positive and it's research-based. All his books are research-based. And um, in the book, The Tipping Point, he writes about how crime was eradicated in one New York City. It's a big city in New York, and it was just overridden with crime. And they came up with, it, with this plan in the city. Let's replace all the broken windows in the city, in that, that area where the crime is most rampant. And let's see what happens. As they begin to replace broken windows, and all the windows were new in places that were broken, covered up some graffiti, things like that, crime went down. You know why it went down? Because the, the, the people who were committing crime saw that somebody cared. And there was a presence there. And crime went down. A few broken windows were replaced and crime went down. Is that not amazing? Think about today. What is it in your life that you know you need major transformation? And you've been looking for the major event to do it. The New Year's resolution, those things. What small actions do you need to take? to see change happen. What's, but not just for you, think about beyond that. What small actions do you need to engage in to see the gospel proclaimed effectively? Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's living wisely among non-believers. Uh, maybe it's making the most of every opportunity. I don't know where you're at today, but I do know that the Lord wants to speak to your hearts. If you will, just bow your head and close your eyes. I just, I just want to pray with you guys today. Lord Jesus, we ask today that you would give us the power in this place to have small actions in our life, to create small actions that create major transformation, Lord. There are some of us in here that have such huge hurdles and obstacles that scares us. Some people today are in mounds of debt, Lord, and they just need that jump start. They need that encouragement that a little bit of change over a long time can transform their financial life. There are people today that are battling addiction. Some of it's secret in here and nobody knows but you and them. And God, today, I know you want to speak to their heart and you want to help them understand that a few small actions can transform their life. Father, I pray today for marriages. It's not the date night. It's not the Valentine's Day. It's not the wedding. It's how we treat each other daily. That what creates either separation or integration over time. I pray today, Father, if there's somebody today that is struggling in their marriage, that they would commit to small actions. Small actions daily that will create major transformation in their marriage. Father, today there are some who feel far from you, that know you, but know they haven't cracked the Bible open in a long time. They know that prayer is non-existent, and it's just so hard to get started. I pray today, Father, that they would embrace some small actions that will create major transformation. And today, Lord, I, I just pray for all of us in here right now for this one thing, that, Lord, we would all commit to pray for transformation of our Richmond metro area. 
that God we would continue to pray for hangnails and we do we know you heal and you do those things it's great but we want to pray for open doors for the gospel to be proclaimed effectively we want to pray for our brothers and sisters in this place today God as they go out into the mission field that Lord there will be open doors to share the gospel Father I pray today that we would make the most of every opportunity that we would literally redeem the time as you said for the days are evil um, Lord that the time is against us that we would go out to do that and I ask Lord this week that you would give us power you give us wisdom knowledge and understanding on how to live among non-believers how to act and may our conversation Lord always be great so we have a right response for everyone who we come in contact with. Lord, we ask for the presence of your Holy Spirit today to help us with this. We can't do it on our own. And today, maybe you're in this place and you're saying, Kevin, I don't know Jesus or I've walked away from Jesus. And I've come today knowing that I need to recommit or commit my life for the first time to Jesus. I want to make Jesus my Lord. I want to serve him with all of my heart. And you've walked into the ride today knowing today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of change. Today is the day you know that the Lord's going to wash your sins away. He's going to make them whiter than snow. That you know today you came for a life change. You just didn't come for entertainment and a service. You didn't come because a friend invited you. You came because God himself brought you in this place today. If you're in here today and you want to commit or recommit your life to Jesus, won't you simply just lift your hands and ask me, Kevin, the Lord brought me here today just for this one person.